Hello, everyone. Welcome back to National Park After Dark. We have a different episode today. I mean, I say different, but we've interviewed authors before. But today we are doing an interview of an author. We love to recommend books. So we're excited to talk about this one. Yeah, we have a very special person on today. It's kind of a different conversation as well. So we're really excited. We just got off the phone with her. (laughs) the phone zoom we just got off zoom with her (laughs) we just recorded (laughs) and she's an awesome human being and her book um we both flew through i think i read it in a day and a half what about you yeah i read it really i think it took me three or four days before I, just because of schedule wise or I could have sat down and read it. But this is a really fun conversation because we're going to be talking about adventure like we always do in national parks, but we're going to be talking about it more in a spiritual journey as well and how transformative being in national parks are and then relationships along the way as well. So it's a really exciting conversation in a different way that relates to our national parks and I think that we can all relate to that we find solace in nature and people do that in different ways and the book that we're referring to today is everything left to remember my mother our memories and a journey through the rocky mountains by steph jagger and it is a story about her experience with her mother going on a trip to three different national parks after her diagnosis of early onset alzheimer's Steph is a best-selling author, life coach, speaker, and mentor. Her latest book examines how our stories are passed down through generations and from Mother Nature. The journey she took with her mother following her Alzheimer's diagnosis through Yellowstone National Park, Glacier, and the Grand Tetons National Parks is one of grief, celebration, surrender, and acceptance. Without further ado, welcome Steph to National Park After Dark. Hello, Steph. How are you? I am good. I'm a t- I'm a tiny bit under caffeinated, but but good. Well, <laughs> I'm already way ahead of you. I'm drinking. For this is my second one already. It's nine a.m. here, so I was I'm gonna say I'm a little over caffeinated as well. I drink. I don't drink caffeine in this morning. I drink two cups of tea with caffeine in it and I'm like all right I'm up I'm up I'm awake (laughs) we're ready we've got the whole spectrum of of under to over uh engaged that's a good start that's a good start Awesome. Well, our listeners love a good adventure, if you know anything about our audience. So while we're primarily here to talk about your most recent memoir, Everything Left to Remember, we would be missing a pretty big opportunity here if we didn't speak or touch upon even briefly about the events that led you to your first book, Unbound. So for those that are not familiar, Steph here decided that while skiing in Whistler in 2009, you made a really abrupt and firm decision that you wanted to just quit your job and ski the world. And that journey led you to five different continents and 45 different mountains. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that is that is the gist. I think um, when I, I, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, skied, skied at Whistler pretty much all my life. And, you know, I had a I had a good life there. Like I was in my late twenties, I had like ticked all of the boxes that I was told I was supposed to tick and things felt good, but they didn't feel great. Like it felt like something was missing or that there was more available to me somehow. And I, I threw my box ticking, couldn't quite add it all up. And so I thought, well, if I immerse myself in my own joy for a year, and to me that meant to travel and to write, but just like in my journal or emails to friends, I didn't plan on writing a book mm-hmm. um, and to ski, then, then maybe I would discover that more. And so I did that. I made that kind of like firm and abrupt decision, as you said, and I, um, I saved and I trained as hard as I can. Cause I'm not a professional athlete and needed some fitness under my belt and kind of quit everything and sold everything and, and decided to, 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 ski circumnavigate the globe skiing and I ended up breaking a record for the most vertical feet skied in a year while I was doing that and I met the person I'm now married to and and really did dramatically change my life I ended up moving to the to the states I restarted a career and eventually heard the kind of knock on the door to to write a book about it so it, it really was when I look back two things quintessentially, it was what I would describe as my maiden voyage, like archetypally and, and, you know, out in the world in that way. And it did involve separating and rejecting and rebelling from 
what I knew so I could really find me, which is, I think, has all of the markers of that maiden voyage. I also think if anybody is familiar with storytelling and Joseph Campbell's work and the hero's journey, it really does fit within that um, hero's or heroine's journey. You know, I I, I think that was um, so much of what that what that was. And even hearing you say back like 45 mountains, I was like, did I do? Wow. Okay. That was a lot of mountains. A lot. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, it was a huge undertaking, um, on so many different levels and it did, it changed my life, but that part only happened in the after, like it could have just been an unbelievable event. And then I went back to my life, but I, I really sat with it and integrated and digested. And what do I want this to change? And so that, that was a, a, a really life-changing journey for me. I think that's so inspiring because you hear people talk about all the time that they want to get up and leave and find themselves and figure out their life and to go do it in such a big way. And you said you met your partner that you're with now. It transformed your life, your career, where you live. It just shows these adventures. And when you really dive into what you want out of your life, how much can come from that. And I think that's just hearing someone else doing it, I think is really inspiring. I think for anyone listening, that's like, I've been thinking about doing this for a really long time. Absolutely. Like I, I, I go big when I go, (laughs) um, that is possible. Like you really can quit, change your life, do something different. Um, and I'm also a really big believer that, that you don't have to do something super dramatic or huge, like a huge undertaking like that to change your life. You know, you could start doing every weekend, you could go to a different hiking trail and just commit yourself to um, living in a different, in a little bit of a different way than you are now. You could take up a completely different project that maybe doesn't involve as much, uh, you know, finances or as much travel or as much um, skill in the outdoor, et cetera. So there's a lot of different ways of, of, of doing this. And I'm, I'm a, big believer in, in all of them, but I don't want people to listen and think, Oh, I can't take a year off of my life. So I guess this isn't available to me. And that's just not true. You can find lots of different ways to do this kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, uh, jinx. Do it. I feel like I hang out too much. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I've picked up yoga a lot recently And that's been something that's super transformative for me. And it's something I can do straight from home or I can do with friends or I can go into class. And I feel like it is something that addresses my inner being every time I'm there. And it's so easy. And it's something I can do within my normal life schedule without making like these giant changes in my life. Absolutely. That's, these are, these are the quintessential kind of ingredients for, you know, when I, when I look back at that, at that year, what I really understand now is that was me understanding uh, what it was like to be in, I mean, I think it's, it was a moving meditation. Mm-hmm. I was on my own kind of in, in motion for, for that long. And it, it taught me a lot about flow state and how to apply that to different areas of my life. And so you can find that kind of flow state in yoga. You can find that kind of flow state in a, in a, you know, once a week painting class. So that, that, that access to those kind of mental and emotional and physical states are available to us in a multitude of different activities. Yeah. And in that flow state, whether it's through meditation or any type of activity that kind of opens your soul up a little bit, you found that pull to write a book. Like you said, you didn't go into this with that plan. It just kind of evolved. And afterwards, reflecting on it, you're like, this is something that needs to be bigger. And so after you wrote that book, would you say that you it kind of changed your life of like, now I'm an author? And did do you think that kind of opened the door up to this next project that we're going to be speaking about? Yeah, I mean, I think every every adventure that I say yes to that that I don't even understand that I don't I, that I have excuses for in my head. I'm like, I don't have the money to do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't have the mountaineering skills to do that. I don't have the you know any of these things. But any of those calls to adventure that I end up saying yes to those those have put me further and further and further into what I'll call the slipstream of I I don't know whether it would be like destiny or like 
personal, um, like fulfillment of my contract, fulfillment of, of, of meaning and purpose. And I am still in a place where I'm like, I can't even really define that for you, but it does have a felt sense that I get deeper and deeper into that every adventure that I say yes to. So when I said yes to the ski trip, I did not expect, you know, my life to look like what it looked like at the end. And then you're absolutely right. I heard kind of a, a knocking on the quintessential or metaphorical door uh, to write a book about it, said yes to that, even though I was like, I don't, I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to, I don't have an agent. I don't know anything about the publishing industry. I, I don't have an MFA. I, I am horrible at spelling and grammar. <laughs> Um, and so, yes, that put me in the slipstream of like, okay, now you're going to write a book. Now you're going to be speaking more. Now you're going to be, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that happened. And then that, as you said, led up to the second book, which again, I did the, the journey that is behind that book. I did not think I was going to write about it in any sort of public way. I thought I would write about it from a personal like journaling catharsis kind of way. But I, you know, you, I keep getting these signs of, you know, take this further, you know, go, go to these places with it. And that seems to lead me, you know, a, again, as I said, like further and further into what I'd call like my maybe destiny or purpose. And I, it's a very different kind of journey than me like creating a vision with my own mind about what I think my life should look like. And, and the path that I think I should take based on these 10,000 pieces of society telling me to do that. And then I create a plan to go do that. That That is so far from, this is so foreign to me now. <laughs> um, so I, I think all of it adds up to being in the, the slipstream of really a life of living an adventure. Well, we have both had the pleasure of reading your most recent book and we loved it. It was, it was obviously, it was heart-wrenching. I think every person who reads this can relate whether they have lost a parent, whether they're dealing with a parent who is sick, a parent who does have Alzheimer's, or just, I think we all have this general fear of our parents aging. And you did such a beautiful way of making the reader feel like we were right there with you, with your emotions. You made it an adventure, which I thought was I felt like when you were talking about when you were in the parks and you were talking about what you were learning while you were there and what you were learning not just about yourself but also about the parks itself about your mother it just really felt like you were there experiencing the adventure with you so yeah. I I really enjoyed reading it and we just wanted to ask you a little bit about how just to start out from I guess where this book all started was with your relationship with your parents how you grew up and what your relationship with them were yeah absolutely so I I grew up in in what I would call pretty traditional gender role um middle to upper class household uh, with a lot of siblings um, mm -hmm. in, in Vancouver, Canada. And again, it kind of goes back to like, I, I had it, I had it good. I was, I was well loved. There was a lot of consistency and safety in my house that put me into a place that I describe now as having a lot of like nervous system privilege. And that being said, there was a lot of the emotional realm of life that was kind of swept under the rug. Like we didn't talk openly about our emotional landscape and as a feeling kid as a highly sensitive kid that always felt difficult to me um like I'm feeling all of these things in my body and I don't understand how nobody else is talking about them or feeling them etc and so there was a little bit of a gap there the other thing I'd say about my 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 life growing up is that you know we were an athletic family but not an outdoorsy family and my father and I are like two peas in a pod, um, mm -hmm. kind of always have, have been. Um, and my mother and I were close, but not, not like my father and I am not like um, best friend kind of mother-daughter relationship. Sure. And so shortly after I finished the ski trip that is featured in Unbound, um, my mom was, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And, you know, that, that kind of prompted me to think about a lot of things inside of our relationship. And like you said, like, you know, we're confronted by, by aging parents, by parents who maybe have different types of degenerative disease. We're also confronted, I think, by complexity of the relationship. Like a lot of us have fantastic relationships with our parents. A lot of us have complex and very 
tricky um, relationships with our parents and other family members. And so I really felt like there needed to be two things. I, I wanted some time with her. I, I knew there would be a window where there was enough of her kind of remaining that I could really soak up an adventure with her and, and maybe, you know, sort through a handful of things. There's also just like a pure enjoyment. Like I, I knew what my mother kind of felt like, looked like the way that she was in nature was is different than the way my dad is. And I thought, well, I want to, I want to spend time with her like that. Like when she's in a state of awe and wonder and she just becomes, you know, when she's around, especially around water, I read a lot about that in the book, kind of just more peaceful. And so I, I, uh, maybe 10 or 11 months after her diagnosis, I decided to take her on a road trip through a variety of different national parks of the kind of Rocky Mountains West. Mm -hmm. And, and again, wasn't planning on writing about it. But as soon as that trip was over, it just, I don't know, it just started kind of flowing on out. So I, I thought, oh, shoot, about a week after I came back from the trip, I was like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> another yeah. book is coming. Yeah. <laughs> what made you land on the Tetons and Glacier and Yellowstone? Yeah, so I had, I had just come back from a backcountry. This is maybe 2015, 2016. I had just come back from a, a backcountry ski trip um, just outside of Yellowstone National Park. And and I I quite literally had had arrived home, put my bags in the you know front of the house, went to go have a shower. And when I was in the shower, it kind of like hit like you're supposed to go back to Yellowstone. And I was like, I, I was just there, you know. Like I'm literally just put my bags yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> I put my bags down. And I and I got out of the shower and I was like, oh, like you know, what is like, kind of, okay, tell me more, whoever is communicating to me that I'm supposed to go back. And I walked into my husband's home office. And I was like, I think I'm supposed to go back to Yellowstone. And I think I'm supposed to And then at the same time, we both said, take your mom. Mm. And I thought, okay, this is this is interesting. And so and so that's exactly what we did. And so when I was planning on it, you know, I, I originally just thought, well, we'll fly into Bozeman and Montana and, and go to Yellowstone. And I thought, well, what, you know, what would we do? Where would we go? And the, the original plan was to do Yellowstone Glacier and then go up into Canada to do Banff um, and then come mm -hmm. back down. And it just so happened that, you know, it was a huge and very long, just like, like this year, actually really long snow year. Like there's still snowpack in a lot of areas and um, it would have been too cold for us to go up into Banff. And so we circled back down and very last minute and went into the Tetons, which was, uh, which was great. So it started off with just a call, like an intuitive call to go back to, to Yellowstone and kind of grew from there. And I absolutely love that you decided to answer that call because you blatantly say in your book that you can count the number of times you actually went camping on one hand prior oh, to yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most people, they took care of the camping part. Like I was not responsible for anything. <laughs> and you know, th this is a great example. It goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like these adventures don't have to be these colossal things. Like this was not my mother and I putting backpacks on and going backcountry camping for two weeks on our own in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Like I was not prepared for that. I don't know if I am prepared even now for that. It, it was car camping. It was, um, let's put a cooler of stuff in the back. I think I know how to set up a tent and use a jet boil. Like, but it was at the edge of my kind of camping experience comfort zone, you know, which I think mm -hmm. always makes for a good journey. Like I goes back to flow state. Like I don't want to be so far out of my skill set that I'm scared. And I don't want to be so kind of in my comfort zone. This is boring. You want to be learning. Exactly. Having an adventure. when you were on this trip and you were planning this and all of the camping with your mother and everything, did you have concerns going into it? Well, I mean, I, I had a lot of concerns. I had concerns of um, everything from like, wait a second, do I need bear canisters and bear spray to like technical, like concerns mm -hmm. about where we were going and how I was going to navigate that to concerns about I remember packing with her and she kept on putting in these like cotton, I just concerns about keeping her warm and having the right kind of technical clothing for her to keep her warm. She gets cold very easily. And I had concerns about things like her, her stage of progression. Like, could I leave her on a bench somewhere and go in to use the washroom and think, what if she wanders? You know, there was, there was kind of thinking about where she was in the progression of the disease and, and that sort of thing. So there, there was a lot of those. And 
I, I think concerns for me are, okay, let's, this is like fear. Whenever I'm super scared of something, like even when I was writing my first book and I was thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. There's a lot of concerns. I used to have a chair in my office that I would put just beside my own chair that I sit in that would sit empty. And I would call that like, that's where fear sits. And anytime it got like really loud, I'd be like, okay, let me hear you out. Like you're screaming. I'd like to know what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, concerns would pour forth and I'd be like, okay, okay. And I'd just kind of work through them one by one and and say like, okay, is that realistic? And what is the backup plan? Like, I don't want to sit and be constantly worrying and constantly analyzing, but, but I need to know what the fears are. Like fear is, can be used as an ally. And so that's, that's typically what I did with the concerns that the, the, the other thing I just kept on telling myself, we have a car, I have a credit card, like worst comes to worst, I pull into a motel. Yeah, right. you always had a backup plan for yeah. the whole trip. Yeah, absolutely. And facing fear, I think has a lot of payoffs. If you do it, you know, face it head on and kind of just obviously address the concerns, but keep going forward. And in your book, you speak a lot about Alzheimer's disease in general and seeing it take parts of your mother away during this trip, especially. But at the same time, equally as important, you talk about brief moments where you feel like she's shining through and her normal self again, and you get these glimmers. And in one of those inter- instances, she thanks you for taking her on the trip and how special it is to her. And mm-hmm. how did moments like this make you feel about this decision to face the fear and pursue this trip? That's such an interesting question. And I, it, it, I think I would, I think about it differently now that she's in late stage Alzheimer's than, than, than then. But I mean, all of that was me. I mean, here, here's the thing about that trip, the whole thing. It felt good. It was fun. Like outside, yes, there were moments of fear, but overall we just had fun together. And, and a lot of people have said to me, you know, if, if she wasn't going to remember the trip, like why? And then, and then you'd be left to carry the memories, which is sometimes painful to do on your own. Like what kind of why go? And I was like, when we have fun, when we sit in places of awe and wonder and delight, and we see things in nature, or we see things in a museum, or we see things in, in the various different adventures that we go on that bring us joy. There's a couple of things that happen, the most important of which is that our bodies feel good. They feel relaxed. They feel open. They feel regulated. They feel curious. We're in a state where we can learn things. It prolongs our health, whether we've got cognitive decline or not. Those, those are worth feeling. I think we often talk about adventure as in like, what's the thing you're checking off of the bucket list? Like it was worth doing because I got to the, to the top of the 14er, you know, because I made it to 15 different national parks. Like that's all good. But the biggest thing that I'm looking for is I want to do this because I think it'll, I think some of it will feel good. Um, And those feelings are worth having on an everyday basis. You know, when you ask that question, you know, what is, what is, what is the meaning of that? Like when she had those glimmers and, and the kind of old her came through, those are meaningful to me in the moment. Now that she's in late stage Alzheimer's, there's really none of those glimmers left. And, and it's really interesting because I think it would be easy for, for people or for me to kind of go like, oh, there's really nothing left, but I actually feel in some ways I I get to have a new or different relationship with her. Like, of course, I've got to grieve the version of her that, that I feel I've lost or that I feel is gone, but there's still something there. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is fascinating. And am I willing to step into the uh, emotional landscape of searching for what is left and what remains um, and, and try and connect with that? And I think that's a whole different relationship now than I was having with like the glimmers on on the trip. I love that you say that. My uh, My grandmother, she had dementia. And towards the end of that, she was a very different person. She didn't have a lot of the memory. She wasn't the same person that I knew. But at the same time, there was almost this barrier that was gone, where she just said everything. There was no like sugarcoating. There was no care of how other people were feeling. She was just almost like her authentic self. And to know her in that way and to communicate with her, I I felt like that was really special for me. So to hear you have that same experience, I can definitely relate to. Yeah, you know, there's something very interesting about 
I don't know if it, if if it's too lofty to say, you know, spiritually or from a soul level, like when we're when we're inside of our human experience, especially with family members, you know, grandmother, granddaughter, you know, father, daughter, however, whatever relationship they are, there's there's norms and expectations and roles and um and and we 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 live our lives within those. And when those are forgotten, you know, that maybe your grandmother forgot that she was your grandmother and maybe had to be this like mature, wise version of herself or her granddaughter. It's like, oh my God, I feel this with my mom. I, I've had lots of moments where I'm like, I just got to glimpse my mom as a 16 year old. Like that is, mm-hmm. that is wild and, and really cool in a lot of ways. Um, but I had to be willing to kind of engage with the grieving process, move through a conscious grieving process to be able to even see that. So that's uh Speaking of adventures, that's a whole other adventure, right? It's hard to remove yourself from what's happening to look at other aspects of what's going on at the same time. For sure. And speaking of now transitioning kind of into the brief portion of this book, which is braided throughout the entire the entire length of the book, I think this is gonna strike a big chord with a lot of people in our audience, just because grief and loss is such a human experience that we all stumble upon at some point in time. And you put a big, big emphasis on forgetting in your book, which I really related to just in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I've had, I've had two big losses in life. I've lost my father and I lost my fiance. So I can personally relate to a fear of forgetting, but just in a different way. I, the first thing I thought of when my fiance passed, because I had a prior experience with losing my father was, oh my God, I don't want to forget. Literally, like as soon as I knew that he was not going to recover, these are both very different from your loss because they were sudden with no warning. So as soon as my fiance was deemed that he was not going to recover, the first thing I got was, oh my God, I don't want to forget. And he's still right in front of me physically. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of people who have found themselves on grief journeys, whether it's through losing someone slowly, like you are describing to someone who has experienced a sudden loss, that fear of forgetting and that loss of connection is something that we can all relate to. But you connected this sense of forgetting in your book to nature as well. So what about your experience in nature with your mother lent itself to your journey of forgetting and then remembrance and this mm-hmm. kind of dance through both? Yeah, well, this is a this is a beautiful question. And I think something that's really important for us, especially in the landscape of loss and grief to, 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 to ponder about and think about. Um, I think, you know, as you said, there's a multitude of different types of loss that we can encounter throughout our life. If we have losses that include um, shock, which sounds like, you know, those sudden losses, I think there's a, there's a unique process that has to be um, reckoned with there to just bring our bodies, our physical self back into a place where we can kind of breathe because those can be pretty overwhelming. I think overall, how I relate it to nature is, you know, I talk about this in the book that the nature, you, you can see the loss on the body of nature. You can see where there's been forest fires. You can see where there's been erosion. You can see where there's been, um, you know, shifts in our, in our landscape. You can see where things have become too dry or, you know, various different things that happen inside of, inside of natural landscapes. And, and I like to think about that idea of, of remembering as something that happens on and inside of the physical body as opposed to the mental body. Certainly that can happen. And it might be really nice for us to remember in our mental body, um, have memories of our loved ones. And I think there's solace in the fact that I, I just, our bodies don't forget. So even if we, we, you know, I think about this with my mom, for example, you know, is it important that she remembers, you know, my name and my face and that I'm recognizable to her? I mean, certainly, yes, that's the context we live in, in our society. And there's a reckoning and, and, and a kind of confrontation when that happens, when, when somebody forgets who you are, that is really important to you. There's a deep, there's a deeper question about remembrance for me that is, okay, this is happening. That happened. I can't go back in time. I can't change things. So I could, I could hold on to that pain 
or I could move into a place of asking myself about deeper remembrance, which to me is, am I recognizing and allowing for the ways that loss and love, you know, shape me and change who I am and be in a lot of gratitude for that. You know, I'm, I don't wish this disease on anybody, wish it didn't happen to my mom and my family. I, I do wish that I had her still in, in the, you know, way that she was. And that's not a reality. And this journey has shaped me into a more loving, open, curious, compassionate human being. So there's, there's a, there's a give and a take there. I also think, you know, one of the things that I, I recall kind of reading as I was diving into this book, it was an old myth and I won't get into the myth, but they had been talking about remembrance and they, they spelled the word remember R E dash member, remember. And I thought, oof, there's something that hit me about like all the ways that life kind of takes us apart. It just kind of disassembles us, you know, especially loss. And, and it really changed the way that I think about forgetting and remembering that, that remembering is, it seems to me to be a process of like bringing after the explosions happen and, and, and we get taken apart. How do we consciously bring those parts of ourselves back and like restitch us into new people? over and over and over again you know like raggedy andy i don't know if you guys are too young to know like those little dolls that we had but anyway no i know um, we know raggedy andy okay, we know right. yeah. <laughs> yeah that becomes you know that becomes our life and and that those i don't know about you but those are connection points mm, yeah. if we allow them to be soft enough instead of like brittle or closed or not talked about or not shown you know that that those can serve as deep connection points to to ourselves and to other people in the world. So I could go on and on about loss, about initiation, about grief, about remembering and, and deep remembrance. But I, I really do think, um, you know, we're, we're being called to come back into a place where we're sitting with and, and doing that stitching work, remembering ourselves and being able to say, oh, look, there's where there's where the um, scar is from this, um, this incident or this loss in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's a process I'm, you know, heavily engaged in, in, in my writing, as well as the coaching work that I do, the retreats that I run, like that's what those are all about. I think that's so interesting because I find myself in a very similar headspace and soul space now, but I've also had, you know, you were describing this shelled off hardened version that can happen on the other side of loss and grief. And I experienced that with my father. Yeah. So it was totally, I've had a totally different response to who I became and the feelings that how I presented myself to the world, how, world, how I viewed myself, how I interact with other people. I've had both sides of the coin. And this one, while I feel is so much more painful because it requires you to do deeper work. I think it's so much more worthwhile. And I feel like you said, even though I wish this was not happening, I wish obviously that I was not in the circumstance and, you know, my family, his family isn't this in this circumstance. I feel a little like a better person on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, this is loss death is 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 our master initiation in life life death life that's it that's that is the quintessential human experience initiation and 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 these can be literal or metaphorical and we see it reflected in nature you know spring springs into life summer comes and fruit bears and then autumn comes and the leaves fall and and winter comes and there's a dormancy you know spring doesn't keep springing it doesn't just spring and spring and spring and spring <laughs> And so, you know, we see this reflected in nature and most of our response to that life, death, life cycle is to push off the death part. It's very painful. Mm -hmm. And so we, we want to deny or push away or um, kind of resist that part. And we think what that's going to do is that it's going to prolong the living. It's going to prolong the spring and the summer. And what that actually does is it flips the initiation on its head and it turns into living death. It turns into brittleness. It turns into we're frozen. It turns into um, a contraction, et cetera. And you know what? For a certain period of time, that's okay. You know, we've got to serve that survival. Mm -hmm. But for a prolonged period of time, you know, for a 10, 15 year journey through a cognitive decline through Alzheimer's experience for for the, for the 10, 15 years 
after, you know, that initial sudden loss, you know, that's a long time to hold on to contraction mm. and that's going to have an impact on your living it, that, that turns it into that kind of living death. Like, like we just, we walk around disconnected. We walk around dismembered from ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and from other people, and so at, at some at some time in that inside of that initiation, we've got to come back to that remembering, and that's where new life is. That's where it's like I am a whole other person on the other side of this loss. Mm-hmm. I know? love this kind of conversation. I've actually it's funny because I've had this conversation recently with a few separate people about how you can go through something that is so difficult and so hard and so traumatic and devastating. And on the other side, there are good things and to be able to recognize it and for that to be okay for you to have this awful experience and have something good that comes out of it is something that's okay. And something that is you're able to recognize. Yeah, this is, you know, this is where I'm a um, huge uh, fan of Cheryl Strayed's writing, which I think, you know, probably your demographic. Yes. Of. <laughs> yep. yes. And, and, you know, she was one of the people that for me, when I, when I read a lot of her work, I thought this is really masterful because it, it the reason it's, it feels so deeply resonant to me is because she's holding multiple emotions at the same time. She's holding pain as well as relief. She's holding um, grief as well as joy. She's like, there's a, there's a multitude. Like we, we tend to kind of feel as though it has to be a binary. Like we have to choose one, like this one horrible thing happened. And so it's sad. And I guess that's all I get now, instead of going, it's sad. And I get to be sad. And I also get to talk to other family members and relive emotions and be, um, and have a like big laughter about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also get to be, you know, re- I feel excruciating amounts of pain with the loss of my mom. And I also feel kind of this, this relief of, I, I'm, I am now completely set free from any expectations that my mother had of me in my life. Like there's a, there's a, there's a relief there. There's, there's a bittersweet. It does, you know, I wish she was still here. Yes. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing to be able to do. It's a very nuanced thing. And I think you know, there's a lot of talk in our society about binary, about binaries, and we t- typically um, only have that conversation around gender. This that conversation needs to go way, 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 way bigger than that, and and put us inside of a slipstream where we don't have to choose sides. I don't have to choose sadness or happiness. Mm-hmm. You can feel both I, at the same time. Yeah, I, can, I can be absolutely in in between. Yeah, I think the something you've said a lot in that last couple minutes was the word and this and that and two things can be true at once and it doesn't mean that you have to pick an emotion or a feeling or this identity you know you can feel two things at once you can be two things at once and I think that like you said so beautifully like that conversation needs to expand tenfold to incorporate a lot of other areas and it's hard because you know as an outsider looking in we're just so I don't know if it's like a cultural thing or just the way we've been raised that it's like sad or happy you know elated or depressed like it's one or the other but until you and experience something that blends the two it's hard to describe and people just don't understand so I don't know yeah I mean it's it's interesting I I think of things like um for me an everyday experience is like rage and surrender Mm. like I you know I have a lot of rage and and I also have a forgiveness or a surrender you know it also takes us back to the very beginning and and maybe even like you know the purpose of why why you all are, are doing this podcast is you know we've talked a lot about what do you do with the concerns and what do you do with the fear it's like well, that's allowed to exist but then if you add excitement like that makes for an adventure so it's both if I just look at the fear if I just hold the one thing and be like well I'm scared to go so I guess that's all there is. So I won't go. It's like, mm, maybe broaden that out to, well, yeah, you're scared, but maybe scared is close to nervous or excited, or maybe um, scared is close to curious or, you know, that those blended states are, are, are that is our wilderness. Mm-hmm. Our internal wilderness is, is where, where those states kind of collide and mix and blend. And I, and I ultimately, I think, that's what we're both scared of because it's messy and confusing and nobody tells us the language of how to parse through those. 
And I think that's our deepest, deepest longing is to be able to live in kind of community internally with ourselves, with all of those things, and then be able to use those to connect with other people. In their be life. scared and excited and turn it into an adventure and bring other people with us, create friendships and relationships along the way with that. And it kind of this talking about this side of it and the adventure side brings us into another question that we had, because on your adventure with your mother, you you both did some beautiful things. You were horseback riding, rafting, you went to all these different national parks. It The whole book while it's intertwined with this sadness and grief, it's also intertwined with a beautiful adventure that happened throughout the entire book. And can you tell us some of your favorite adventure memories that you had along the way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> a, a lot of, I think this is a really good um, kind of point. A, lo a lot of people hear that I took a woman with Alzheimer's, like whitewater rafting and horseback riding, and they're like, wait a second. <laughs> And I, I, this is something I like talking about just in regards to the awareness of the disease is that, you know, my mom has early onset Alzheimer's. She was a woman in her late sixties. She was in the early stages of the disease. So most people, when they think of Alzheimer's and dementia, they're thinking about somebody who's maybe 80 or 90 years old in the late stages of the disease, <clears throat> who doesn't have a lot of mobility or language, et cetera. So this is a person who's really fit, who's in their late sixties and who is still, you know, relatively there cognitively speaking. And so, um, yeah, we went on these adventures and I, I mean, there's memories that stand out for me. I, I don't think I'll ever forget my, my mom's face when we were on that whitewater raft. Uh, you know, this is a you know pretty gentle river that we were, that we were cruising down, but there's something that happens with her when she's near and on water that, um, it, it just, it feels like entirely like safety and nervous system regulation to me. And that's a very, very comforting memory to tap into. I think there's also, there's also moments like I, I have a picture of her and a memory of her, you know, kind of meeting the horse that she was going to be on for a couple of the different rides. She was very kind of like coy looking. And I, I don't know that there's so many images that come across, that come across my mind. Um, I, I think I'll never forget the moment that we were at um, Old Faithful, the, the geyser, you know, this, this is, you know, ev so many people go to take pictures of this geyser and it's very consistent and kind of blows its water and steam and thousands of people gather, they take pictures, they leave. And there was one moment that, that everybody was leaving. I thought, okay, I'm going to leave her on this bench here. I'm going to go in and use the washroom. And I came back outside. She was sitting in front of this now dormant um, geyser, nothing going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And she was just sitting there on this bench and I approached from behind and was just watching her and she just seemed captivated. And I thought that there's a lesson, like something that looks like nothing, that looks like dormancy, boredom, something that looks pretty banal or ordinary. Like, are we really looking hard enough for the beauty that is around us that that's inside of silence that's inside of um, quietude that's I don't know there was something really beautiful about that and that that stands out as a moment in the book for me and, and on the journey for me one of the parts of the book that stands out for me that I really loved was when you were both horseback riding in Yellowstone and your guide told you only one percent of people have seen this part of the park and you talk about this moment where you're like hold on millions of people have been here and now me me and my mom are out here as part of the 1% of people because everyone and you talk about how people just stick to the roadways and the walkways that are given to us and you only see that part and then you talk about your experience with your mom horseback riding and looking around and that was a part of the book that I really connected with and stood out for me a lot which I thought was a very beautiful experience that you both had together this is like reflective of the whole conversation that we've been having so so yeah there, there's statistics that you know how many millions of people visit Yellowstone National Park it's one the most visited park, um, I think, in in the United States, and and there's there's only one percent of those millions of visitors that actually kind of leave the main roadways and boardwalks and kind of get into the nature uh, that's available, which is astounding to me. I, I don't know. I found that just yeah that that's that is such a metaphor for our lives. Of are you willing to kind of leave that surface level that pretty picture that of yourself or other people and kind of ask like, Hey, I see this 1% of your, I, I see this, you know, kind of boardwalk or surface level of your life. Like what, what else is, what else has shaped you? What else has happened in your life? Venturing what, what, off the beaten path to see more. Exactly. Like, Oh, I see you presenting as, you know, when we ask each other, Hey, how you doing? We're like, okay, get good. And you're like, no, I'm not like, really. really. <laughs> like, what else is, is in there? And are we willing to 
venture there ourselves? Are we willing to um, go there with other people? Um, and, and how much more could we see and how much how much more would we be willing to extend ourselves to protect, to save, to honor those places if we saw them, if we experienced them? Um, so that that was a, I was shocked by that statistic, still am. <laughs> and doing that requires you to be present and live in the present moment. Um, and throughout your memoir, you give us the reminder of the importance of presence to pay attention, to remember before it's too late, to accept people as they are and meet them where they are on their own journeys and lessons that you were reminded of yourself through your mother's diagnosis, this entire trip, this reconnection with nature. So kind of one of our last questions was, is there a lesson that you want to leave with our audience that you kind of garnered from this entire experience? I I, I think presence is it. I mean, you, I, I've, I've thought about presence well prior to my mom's diagnosis, that all wellness is being right with time, which translates into is my mental body, my physical body, and my emotional body in the same place at the same time? Like, or am I physically here, but I'm mentally thinking about my to-do list later today, or I'm emotionally back at some incident that happened this weekend? Like, no, I'm, I'm present, I'm here. So I've, I've thought about that for a long time, all wellness is being right with time. And, and then my mom was diagnosed. And I, and I think this is like a quintessential, like Alzheimer's daughter, Alzheimer's granddaughter, it's in my lineage lesson is that this, this is a disease that, that threatens for, for me personally, I think for many of us, you know, to take the future. Like I, this could happen. This is inside of my, my lineage. This could be a reality for me in the future. So it, th it threatens to take that from me because of the nature of the disease. It also threatens to take my past. And so I, I really, really kind of categorically refuse to let it take the present as well. That it, it really lands me smack in inside of that being the most important place to be. Um, and, and the most important kind of time to be with. So that's probably, uh, th that is the lesson is where am I now? How do I feel now? What's happening now? That's, uh, that's who am I with in this moment? Uh, what am I feeling in this moment? Those are, those are quintessential components of, of living in the present for me. I think that's such an important lesson because how you said, it's so easy to be being somewhere and thinking of something else and to actively practice being present is not easy. It's difficult, but it's something that's so important for me. Sometimes I find I'll be out on a hike and I'll be thinking about issues that I have instead of looking at the nature that's around me. And then you have to, and I think everyone can relate to those experiences where we're somewhere or we're doing something and our mind is somewhere else. So to be able to actively and consciously make sure that you are being present and practice that is such an important lesson that may be difficult, but is doable and important for your life. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in the, in the landscape of grief, it's difficult because what's in the present is, can be pain, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, well, I don't really want to be in that. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. That might mean that I need to be with that, you know? And, and that's, it's really easy for us to talk about presence from like kind of a wellness space, like, oh, you can just do yoga or you can just do mindfulness or you be in the present moment and, and observe the flowers around you. And that's all part of it. But I think, I think to really get down to like the brass tacks, nitty gritty of like, why don't we do this? It's like, oh, it's painful. Like I don't, if I'm in a room that, that I feel like I'm in with my family members, but I also feel alone inside of that. That's a really uncomfortable feeling to feel. And so I might busy myself. I might want to, I might, you know, avoid end. it. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think, I think that's the part of being in the presence is being in the present moment is if there's uncomfortable feelings to kind of slowly, but surely kind of increase our capacities to sit with a relative amount of comfort inside of that discomfort and go like, that's okay. That's okay. I can feel that. And handle it in that moment versus later down the line reflecting on it and realizing that you weren't yeah yeah and dealing with it sometimes it starts with the latter right sometimes it's too uncomfortable and we can't do it and that's okay and we go oh that's what that was I was uncomfortable about being lonely in a room full of people that, that love me that's that okay okay I get it there's an awareness and then we kind of can slowly backtrack to be like okay let me let me actually 
feel the discomfort in the room. So I think that's um, that's been such an important part of my own work with presence is realizing it isn't just about being like, oh, I can feel the warmth of my cup of coffee and taste it in the moment. That's part of presence, but it's mm-hmm. also tending to you know the, some of the more di- difficult states or uh, emotions as well. Yeah, and I think that I speak for both of us when I say that it takes an immense amount of courage to face loss and also document it as it's happening while you're experiencing it as it's unfolding, which you have done through your book and through your talks and in your retreats and in your work. So we just want to thank you for coming on and kind of spreading the word and that it's an it's basically a word of acceptance. It's a permission to, you know, it's okay to feel all of these things, experience all of these things, do the work, feel loss, experience it, but also learn from it. And we both really enjoyed reading your book mm-hmm. and kind of getting a glimpse into that part of your life. So thank you so much. Thank you. This has been just a really beautiful conversation and um, really meaningful. So thank you for for having me. Thank you for having it with us. And before we let you go, um, just for our audience, where would be the best place to check out your book? You can find the book anywhere books are sold. So I love supporting independent bookstores um, and it's available online at large stores as well. So that's really anywhere. And then people can find me um, on Instagram at Steph Jagger and on my website, stephjagger.com. And like, I am the person that answers those DMs and emails. So I love it when people reach out and, and want to connect and communicate. It's I, I don't have like a factory of people that answer things for me. So it is it is me that you will get a hold of. Great. We'll link all of that into our show notes. Everyone listening can go straight to it. Um, But yeah, thank you again so much for joining us today. This has been, like you said, it's been a beautiful and enlightening conversation and we really appreciate you being here today. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. If you have a trail tale or story suggestion, send us an email at stories at npadpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at National Park After Dark and on Twitter at npadpodcast. Join our Outsiders Only community on Patreon or Apple subscriptions to listen ad-free, unlock monthly bonus episodes, and exclusive content. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you are supporting our show. For our exclusive discount code, and source information from today's episode, check out the show notes. For more information on our show, our book recommendations, merch updates, and more, visit our website at npadpodcast.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe from wherever you listen to podcasts.